it was like the sweet taste of nastiness. If if that can ever be, <laughs> if that can ever be personified, demonstrated, and uh, it, it carried on screen, it happened here. Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 130 of the Movie Bite Podcast. This is a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and ever so much more. Our voices are being converted to digital sound files so that we can stream this episode to you on this fine Tuesday, March the 24th, 2015. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me today is the hard-to-get-along-with king of jazz, Joe Darnell. How are you, sir? Not fast enough, TJ. Start it again from the top. No! Not my tempo. Not my tempo. <clears throat> was I dragging? Or what was it? Uh, oh, I don't remember. Yeah, you, you kind of were. You just a little bit. The beat and that, 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 that little bit of the theme music is a little bit slower than usual. got to crank it up. Not my tempo. That's, all right. Try from the top. Uh, all right, Joe. Well, here we get are. get this right if it takes you all night. We're we're missing somebody who we said was going to be on the podcast, which is unfortunate. But, did we uh, say that last week? We did. Did we, did we say that we, he was going to be on the show? We said he was going to be on the show, uh, Mr. Tim Smith, and we're did, disappointed oh. he had something come up. Uh, but yeah. that's all right. Okay, well, he's with us in spirit. Yes, he is. And it's possible um, he hasn't committed he's, he's yet. He's listening to this right now, wherever he is. Tim, I'm, I'm we sure love he you. is. We know yes. you're out there. We're thinking about you. We dedicate this episode and the next uh, review to you, sir. Yeah, it's possible that he'll join us for the next one, but he hasn't committed yet, and it may, it may, it may be hard. I'm, I'm given to understand he's getting married soon, so uh, lots of things going on in his life. Mm. I can totally uh, – I, I I seem to remember a time when I was uh, getting ready to, to be married, and I, I feel so like I probably would not have – Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's in the middle of his own romantic comedy, and we know what that's like. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. You, you cannot be a podcaster and be in that kind of relationship at the same time because we've seen in all the movies the guy cannot maintain his job and the relationship at the same time. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't the work guy needs to quit. He doesn't need to be a podcaster anymore. He just needs to pack <laughs> it up and leave. Drop the mic going home. Yeah, for sure. Fun fact. Did you know that my first name is Timothy? Whoa, what? Whoa. Yeah. T Tim. stands for Timothy. It does. Like Tim Cook. Tim. Like fact, Timothy Darnell, my father. When I was young, um, even though my parents called me TJ and nicknamed me TJ because my dad's name was Tim, uh, I, when I was younger, when I went to a private school, I was called Tim there for, for several years. So just No just, one ever called you Timmy? Yeah. And, uh, no, I w- I, that wasn't really allowed. Allowed? Yeah. Oh, kind of like Joey. There was no Joey. No, 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 Joey. That, I mean, Joe, that doesn't did – I, Did I ever tell you the horrible, horrible story of when I was 18 and I was working with some construction workers and we stopped in at Kmart to do a little bit of shopping? Uh, I don't think you did. Or if you did, I've forgotten it. We needed new pants. And so uh, long story short, I was getting pants. The guys were um, up at the front. And so they had them call from the intercom, Joe baby, come to the front desk, please. Joe baby, as you come do, to the front desk. As you do. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think we should move on to something related to uh, the things that we talk about on this podcast, uh, and maybe not our names. Um, although that is a funny story, and I want to hear more. But but right now, uh, speaking of funny names, n- nope, got nothing. Uh, <laughs> uh, we uh, we <laughs> Fletcher, do have somebody. Andrew, what? We Tom do have Cruise, somebody what? who who doesn't age, uh, at least doesn't appear to age. Although, actually, I say that, and he looked to be aging just a little. Um, so, so the title of this, this film is age impossible, age impossible. That's right. We have a trailer. Let's, let's, let's find out about that trailer. I want you to choose your next words very carefully. Where is hunt? We've never met before, right? Finally. Ethan, where are you? The syndicate is real. The syndicate is real, Joe. The syndicate is real. What are we going to do? So that was from Uh, the trailer for the upcoming Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I can think of better titles. It stars Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt, of course. Jeremy Renner as William Brandt. Simon Pegg as Benji Dunn. Alec Baldwin, unnamed. uh, Rebecca Ferguson, also unnamed on IMDb. And Ving Rhames as Luther Stickle. I, I don't know if I'm saying that name mm, right. I, Stickle. Yeah. Uh, Stickle. Yeah, so I, the, one, the one, you know, interestingly, the one cast member from the previous film I'm disappointed not to see on here is Paula Patton. I thought she did a wonderful mm-hmm. job. Uh, in, Wasn't uh, she in two of them? No, she was just in Ghost Protocol, and she did a fantastic oh. job, and she's not uh, listed here, so. She's the expendable crewman, right? Didn't Apparently. she wear a red shirt at some point? Uh, maybe it's possible, but I mean, she didn't die in the previous film, so she had to have worn a red shirt at some point in her life. Yeah, she's probably filming some other film, and she wasn't on contract, and so they couldn't really get her to to you know be in the next film, which is un- unfortunate. Yeah. But I mean, let's face it, the Mission Impossible series has always been about Ethan Hunt. So. It's always been about the dudes. Interestingly, Joe, uh, the film mm-hmm. is being directed by Christopher McQuarrie, who directed Jack Reacher. He's also written such films as Edge of Tomorrow, Jack the Di- Giant Slayer, and Jack Reacher. He also wrote Valkyrie. Um, I feel like there's something I'm missing here. Maybe that's it. Not so, bad. I liked Valkyrie. Yeah. So, and I, well, and I certainly liked. Uh, so Edge he of basically he, he, he's built his career on writing Tom Cruise movies. It's what it seems like. I, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's that's the he, he's Tom case. Cruise's writer. He know he really captures Tom Cruise's lines and like what it says on the page is exactly what Tom Cruise does. Apparently so, yes. So he's he's uh he's directing this film and I'm looking uh I think he also wrote it, which would make sense. No, he didn't actually, I'm sorry. Uh he did not write this film, but he is directing it. Uh the uh somebody named Bruce Geller wrote the characters, Drew Pierce uh and Will Staples wrote the screenplay. Mm. Uh, Those are a lot of people, TJ. I'm not keeping up with all these names. Yeah, I'm just uh, so apparently maybe Bruce Geller uh, wrote the original because it says characters, and I'm thinking that's what that means. I, I'm woefully. You, you know, ignorant. it's bad enough that they expect. Well, it's bad enough that they expect us to keep up with all the fictional names of their characters in their movies. We got to remember the cast and the and the and the directors too. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, you know. I don't know. What do you think? Are you are you looking forward to this film? You know, the the trailer really doesn't say anything to me except that it's another Mission Impossible film. So I'm definitely going to watch it in the big on the biggest screen that I can find because I'm sure there's going to be some IMAX worthy moments. Might be a little bit of action, you know. 
Yeah, I, I know that half of the action isn't real. The other half is Tom Cruise being God on Earth, and um, <laughs> he's going to be apparently stra- like holding on for dear life to the side of the plane. And I want to see that when he uh, he gets uh, his cape stuck in the jet turbine and uh, he dies. <laughs> uh, it's got to happen. There, there has to be some connection between Mission Impossible Five and Brad Bird, who directed the last film, who also directed The Incredibles. I mean, like I'm just saying. It's got to be there. Maybe he was consulted. Maybe so. Yeah, it's got to happen. I don't see his. And we'll find anywhere. out the true secret identity of Tom Cruise is that he is um what was his name Buddy Buddy you know syndrome. <laughs> That's who he really is in real life. <laughs> I don't know what you're just in a mood tonight, Joe. You're not. You're not having any serious you know, conversation. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert! I have had three coffees today, <laughs> which means I've had about twice as much as I ever have. And I didn't make one of these coffees. One of these coffees was made by someone else. I'm going to blame it on that. I mean, I, I, I heard that you had a coffee podcast. That may speak to your obsession with the substance abuse. Mm-mm, it's uh, yeah, it's um, it's somewhere in there. It's it, I would classify it somewhere between substance and abuse. <laughs> so, what have you? Um, we don't. We actually don't have a whole lot of movie news tonight. This is March. No, and, no, this so, is March. Nothing happens in March. So, let, what spring. did you think of the uh, the previous four Mission Impossible's? Did you have any strong feelings about? Oh, any of them? you know, I only saw Mission Impossible two not too long ago, maybe um, late last year in December. Please tell me you and, saw the first one. Oh yeah, I've seen okay. the first one okay. maybe a half a dozen times, yeah, yeah. and I've really enjoyed it. It's really. Good. I, I watch it every three or four years. It's still the best in the series. It, yeah, it is. Mission Impossible 4 is pretty solid, too. And it's always it nice is. to go back to the Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. And that's really the main reason you watch Mission Impossible 3. Correct, yes. And, and I agree. I think 3 was better than 2. Uh, I wasn't completely sold on 3. If I remember right, J.J. Abrams directed that? Is, am, I, am I imagining he, that? He yes. directed Part 3. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he did. And I feel like it suffered from J.J. Abrams' over-obsession with shaky cam action and uh, his desire to make uh, action impossible to follow. Um, but in general, it was better than 2. 2 was kind of a, like a, uh, I don't know. And and it was better than 2, but I, I my, my favorites in the series are Mission Impossible, the original, which is by far the best, and Mission Impossible Ghost, Protoc- Ghost Protocol was not awful. It was, I, I'm actually being a little disingenuous. It was quite good, I would say. I haven't seen Ghost Protocol, so <laughs> that, that sounds pretty interesting. Uh, I, I liked it. Um, it was a good film, um, and I, I have that, high hopes for this one. That's a Mission Impossible film in the Bizarro world? Okay, carry on. <laughs> I have high hopes for Rogue Nation because of Christopher McQuarrie directing it, um, and I think that uh, you know having Jeremy Renner back is a good thing. Simon Pegg's always a laugh as Benji, so – uh, I'm excited about this film to the extent that I can be about a, a the fifth in a series that's been up and down. You know, you have a point there. I would actually watch this if it were just for names and uh, and actors' sake. Mm, I'd yeah. watch it more for Simon Pegg than I would for Tom Cruise. And no offense to Tom Cruise, he's <laughs> he's definitely cashed in his abilities at times. Well, Tom Cruise always plays Tom Cruise, right? And Simon Pegg is a little more versatile, I think. Yeah. You know, the one disappointment, though, if uh, if I'm looking for Airmark's reasons to perhaps uh, not get our hopes up, is that the, the you said the writer also wrote Jack Reacher, right? He did. And that was not such a hot film. What? That was Whoa, okay. That? But it, 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 it fell flat compared to other Mission Impossible movies. Mm. Well, Jack Reacher was not a Mission it was Impossible like, movie. I, okay, I, you, you take the worst. You take the worst Mission Impossible, maybe part two, and then you compare that to Jack Reacher. They're about the same. Nope. No, I, w- I, I would put Jack Reacher like on the same level as Ghost Protocol. Wow. I liked Jack Reacher. It was fine. I, I liked the film. I'm experiencing some whiplash. 
<sighs> well, okay. So, so Christopher McQuarrie wrote Edge of Tomorrow. Argue with that. Argue with that. Uh, so tell, tell me that that's not. Are, a good are you wait? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Are you serious? Yes, Christopher McQuarrie really? wrote Edge of Tomorrow. You didn't know this? Well, okay. Then he improved a lot between those two movies. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> Uh, let's see if he actually wrote Jack Reacher. I know, uh, yes, screenplay. Okay, and he directed it as well. So he did the screenplay and he directed Jack Reacher. Mm, I hope he only did that in name only because mm. that was not so hot. I liked it. It was good. I, I wouldn't mm. put it, you know, on the on a, like it wasn't like four and a half star material or anything, but I I thought it was good. Mm. <sighs> we reviewed that film too, didn't we? I'm sure we did. Let's see. Let's see. Moviebite doc or let's see. Moviebite podcast. Uh, Jack. Reacher. Let's see if Google has any results for us. I did Google a, doesn't. Uh, Google does not listen to our podcast, TJ. Uh, I did a rap on it. Let's see. James T. Hook. Get some brief. Th- let's see. Brief thoughts on Jack Reacher. Uh, that's interesting. That is not my website. Oh, are you serious? There's a movie button imposter. No, it's like syndicating our thing. Oh well, I I don't know. Um. I thought that we did, but I'm not able to find it like off the top. We'll cut this all out and post. No, we won't. Why would we do that? I don't know. It's what all the people say. (laughs) Okay. So we have another story. Uh, Rumor has it. Rumor has it. That's a, that's the name of a song in a Tom Cruise movie. I think Uh, Marvel auditioned a 16 year old actor for Spider-Man. This is in the news. That 16 year olds are possibly going to be the next Spider-Man. Oh wait. Oh, 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 I had music queued up for us here. Hang on, hang on. Here we go. All right. Uh, you got your turntable set up? Yes, yes. I, f- I forgot to play the music before you started talking about Spider-Man. Uh, so we have to have some real Spider-Man music. The only Spider-Man uh, music Elfman that has ever music. been written. Yes. <laughs> the other the, the other, we pretend Elfman that wasn't written. Best. So, yeah, I mean, you're more of a Spider-Man fan than I am, I think. Or at least you claim to be, although I quite liked... Peter Parker's uh, not Peter Parker. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, I'm not. I'm not crazy about any one incarnation from beginning to end. But I really enjoy the mythos, the just the the palpable quality of many many details involving Peter Parker's life. I do enjoy. Well, man, they put okay, a lot so, of detail into his spinnerets. Like you're looking at some of these comic book images, and <laughs> man, there's a lot going on with his webs. Can you imagine being somebody that had to draw that, the person that had to draw those webs? Every last panel. They probably weren't paid well enough. So what do you think of this rumor that they may be trying to cast a 16-year-old version of Peter Parker? I mean, obviously, Tobey Maguire has always been older than that, and I, I don't get the impression that, uh, what's his name, Mark, Mark Webb's Spider-Man was supposed to be any younger than, like, say, 18. I think that this is a very good move because we haven't, for one, seen very or any superheroes in live-action films that young before. And even if it seems like it's pushing it for Peter Parker, whereas, yeah, we knew he was in high school when he gets started, it doesn't feel like he was ever 16. I always pictured him as um, just turned 18. Yes. Which means he'd gotten over his voice change and it, it made a little bit more sense when he put on the muscle that people didn't freak out thinking, what are you taking, kid? You know? Yeah, I always pictured him, uh, certainly the Tobey Maguire version, as his last year in high school, you know? And like you said, just turned 18. And and, and, and as is, you know, Spider-Man 2, um, not the amazing Spider-Man 2, but Spider-Man 2, I mean, he's mm-hmm. obviously... Uh, moving on past high school. Am I, am I remembering that right? I think that's right. But uh, take this into consideration. He's in college in Spider-Man Yeah, yeah, too, that's, what I was, that's what I was thinking, yeah. So take this into consideration, though. Characters like uh, Captain America, 
ba- uh, played by Chris Evans, is it? Yes. And uh, then uh, Chris Hemsworth playing Thor. I personally feel like those characters and their representations in the movies look a little bit younger than I would appreciate them. Like in their golden age, I would think that Captain America was closer to looking like he was 35 to 40 in the stories of the Avengers, which I know doesn't exactly make sense because of the timetable that they have for the films where he was basically a really young man when he became Captain America during the war. And then he was frozen for 70 years. And then when he pops out of the ice, he can't be older when he joins the Avengers, but Mm -hmm. That's the way it was set up for the film. And I just, you know, you look at all the great comics of Captain America and the way he is typically represented. He's clearly over the age of 30. And I kind of like that. Like, he looks like um, he is a a, a stout G.I. Joe wearing tights. And, uh, you know, that that's interesting. <laughs> I just like the idea that he is a grown man. He's older than Superman, Bruce Wayne, and the others. But we don't really get that from the Avengers. A lot of them look like they're really young faces, even if they... I mean, like these actors, I don't know what they're putting on their skin, but it, it's definitely working. And they, they look younger than they should be. So in order to create the, the age difference the, the between Peter Parker and the other characters, you, you have to kind of make Peter younger if you want to show the, the contrast between the two extremes mm. of the older and younger superheroes. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, this this kid in the photo that they that is rumored to have been auditioned for the upcoming reboot of Spider Man certainly looks very very young. He, yeah, you're he right. Looks, and he looks I, that like might a spring chicken. Yeah, yeah. In I mean, theory, I, I, the idea works. I'm having a hard time envisioning this guy, you know, slinging web slinging, you know, and, and flying around cities and, and buildings and New York City and stuff. I'm, I'm having a hard yeah. time seeing it. Yeah, maybe they're just looking around, seeing what what's out there. Maybe they're, they're thinking they all get lucky, or they'll just rule it out while they're in auditions and go for somebody a little bit older. Maybe that's the approach they're taking. And at this point in production, they're not committed, so they could be uh, they could be doing cast calls for sixteen to twenty year olds. And all we heard about was this one. It could be. It could be. Um, I, I'm I'm not having a, uh, a a weird thing going on in my mind. Like um, Spider Man is in New York, right? That's his city. Yeah. Yep. And here's the interesting thing. I, I was just thinking about this. So Marvel is going to be bringing Spider Man to the Avengers. Spider Man's in New York. The whole Avengers thing happened in New York. Where was Spider Man during this time? Had he not presumably, been bitten by the spider yet? Yeah, presumably he would have been bitten by the spider after the previous Avengers events. Maybe the spider became um, affected by the Chitauri that were in New York and that <sighs> caused the chain reaction where he got bit. I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> TJ, you could be a screenwriter. You just missed your calling. And that's that's it. I just need You're to hired. connect a few dots and, and we're good to go. I mean, come on how hard can it be they're always looking for new material tj you are mr new material <laughs> yeah i think i should write this this is good i i'm on the right track here fan it's, fiction it's, to you know what it is you know, you know what we know that uh, the staff uh loki's staff is still on earth oh but that's what causes spider to be when he bit and it, it, yeah 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 that's it that's it we should make it All do right, that TJ, sorry you're fired that, that's a horrible <laughs> idea <laughs> All right, well, we have other Marvel news, so let me cue up something related here. All right. The Russo (laughs) brothers have been confirmed to direct Avengers of Infinity War Parts 1 and 2. This has been heavily rumored, but then there was some some questions about that because of 
them being rumored to also maybe be in with Sony and Spider-Man and Ghostbusters and who knows what, but this is... Marvel Studios has announced um, that... Or no, 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 I'm sorry. Uh... I thought, Mar- I thought it said Marvel Studios announced, but this is just from uh, Badass Digest reporting that Anthony and Joe Russo have s- just closed their deal to direct Avengers Infinity War Parts 1 and 2 while they're, they're about to go into production on Captain America Civil War and will do, and will do back, back-to-back Avengers films after that. The latter set of films are scheduled for release in May 2018 and May 2019. So, the, the point is, they're going to be busy, busy bees, and they're going to be worn out when all this is over. I don't see how they can fit in a Spider-Man film, as the rumor was having it, or a Ghostbusters film. That, that's just, that's crazy. I mean, Captain America, Civil War, Avengers Infinity War, Parts 1 and 2, that's going to leave them exhausted. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. That's a bit, that's a bit heavy. I, I, I'm doing well if I can write for three websites in a given week. <laughs> It just feels like they should spread it, spread things a little bit more. Like, we have several good directors that are available to do these sorts of things and that I want to see their vision for these things. And, and we're kind of... I suppose in some way it makes sense because it feels like Avengers 2 is leading into this Captain America Civil War, which th- my impression is Civil War is going to start this cascading storyline that's going to lead into Infinity War Parts 1 and 2. So it makes sense on some level that basically they're directing three films. You can consider them parts one, two, and three. But my goodness, that's just a lot of Russo brothers. Hmm. And and again, how do we know the Russo brothers, TJ? Captain America, civil, uh, uh, the, not, uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, what was the second Captain the problem America film with that called? title? The, 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 the problem with that title is that it, it would be like a Batman movie called Batman the Joker. that that doesn't roll off the tongue very well okay captain america um the uh i did it again the first not the first adventure it's the winter soldier (laughs) yes no i don't like the title but um it was good film so so they directed um captain america the winter soldier got it got it okay um so that's how we know them that's how i know them let's see um i feel like they've directed other things that we might be aware of i don't know uh, you have me, man. Uh, I, I never heard of them before now. Mm. Um, uh, and when the Winter Soldier happened, everybody was putting it in the context as a, a Marvel film. So when they walked out of the theater saying, oh, that was really good. I liked the Winter Soldier. Marvel actually got their act together. They can do sequels really nice. Like that, that's what people were saying. And I, I don't think of anyone who, who brought up the directors on the streets. Mm. Yeah, I mean – I'm not complaining too much. I mean, they've done good work. I just, you know, I hope they can keep it up and I hope they're not so exhausted they can't deliver. You know, that's, that's my concern. I mean, goodness, that's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of Marvel films for them to direct. Yep. They're just going to try and, uh, you know, compact 10, 15 years of their career into five and then retire. They're done. Yeah. Maybe because they're, they're two, they, they think they can do double the work. Maybe so. I mean, it, it, I mean, there's something to that. Maybe. I mean, because you got, you got Joss Whedon who's exhausted after directing two Avengers films, and they're not necessarily back to back. And but he's only one man, and these you know these people can be in two places at once. So maybe that makes the difference. <laughs> they're basically clones. Well, like I said, we don't have a lot of film news today. There's just no, I, I scoured no. the internets, and there's just not a whole lot going on. Those were the interesting right. things to me. So that's I, all there was on the whole internet, man. That's it. I came to the. I got to you know that page, the end of the internet. I got there. <gasps> what was it like it said you've reached the end of the internet go outside and get some fresh air <laughs> whoa that's brilliant yeah so well, we, got a, um, we got a review to go with here we do we want to review whiplash 
This place is nice. I really like the music that they play. Bob Ellis on the drums. <laughs> I'm part of Schaefer's top jazz orchestra. It's the best music school in the country. The key is to just relax. Don't worry about the numbers. Don't worry about what the other guys are thinking. You're here for a reason. Have fun. Five, six, and. I want to be great. And you're not. We got Buddy Rich here. Little trouble there. You're rushing. Here we go. Five, six, and. Were you rushing or were you dragging? I, I don't know. If you deliberately sabotage my band, I will gut you like a pig. Oh, my dear God. Are you one of those single-tier people? You are a worthless pansy ass who is now weeping and slobbering all over my drum set like a nine-year-old girl. That was from the trailer for Whiplash. As you might be able to tell from that trailer, the film is a little bit intense. <laughs> yeah, and that was the rated PG version. <laughs> oh, for sure. It, they definitely cut some things out of that scene uh, for that trailer. It was released on October the 10th, 2014. It had a, a budget only of $3.3 million. Opening weekend, it brought in 135000 not million, 1388 That was, of course, a very limited release. Worldwide gross so far is $13.9 million. The critics agree that this film is intense, inspiring, and well-acted. Whiplash is a brilliant sophomore effort from director Damien Chazelle and a riveting vehicle for stars J.K. Simmons and Miles Teller. The director and the writer was Damien Chazelle. The primary stars of this film are Miles Teller as Andrew, J.K. Simmons as Fletcher, Paul Reiser as Jim Neiman, and Melissa Benoist, Benoist as Nicole. The composer was Justin Hurwitz. And Joseph, would you tell us about this story? Andrew Neiman is an ambitious young jazz drummer, single-minded in his pursuit to rise to the top of his elite East Coast music conservatory. Plagued by the failed writing career of his father, Andrew hungers day and night to become one of the greats. Terrence Fletcher, an instructor equally known for his teaching talents as for his terrifying methods, leads the top jazz ensemble in school. Fletcher discovers Andrew and transfers the aspiring drummer into his band, forever changing the young man's life. Andrew's passion to achieve perfection quickly spirals into obsession as his ruthless, as his ruthless teacher continues to push him to the brink of both his ability and his sanity. All right. That was the uh, that was the warm and fuzzy's sensational copy <laughs> from the studio. This film is anything but warm and fuzzy. Um this film, wow, uh, Maybe Joe, Maybe warm wow. and hazy? I, I've been wanting to see this film for a while, and I knew in the back of my mind that it had finally come out on uh, uh, iTunes or somewhere where I could get it. I was not able to – I wanted to see it in the theater, and I was not able to do so because it stayed in limited release throughout its entire okay. release. Yeah. Um, uh, boy, this I wanted film, to mention the, the top here that um, the name Whiplash is actually the name of a jazz number that they're trying to learn in the school. Correct. And yes. that was something that I was kind of mystified by. Like, it's kind of like a name like Ghost Protocol. Well, what is the Ghost Protocol? And you have to find out in the movies. So it's like, it's not a metaphor like Dark Helmet. It's, it's going to be something, it's something you're going to find out when you watch the movie. Whiplash. That's the name of the song. So something interesting about this film that I, I didn't really know or didn't expect going into it, uh, I would call this film a thriller. Certainly an emotional thriller, if nothing else. But um, huh. yeah, this, this film. There were many times throughout this film, Joe, where I, without realizing it, was kind of on the edge of my seat, wondering what Fletcher was going to do, <laughs> wondering how 
wondering how Andrew was going to respond to it. I mean, I was completely enthralled by this film. And Yeah, this was a very captivating film because every moment counted for Andrew's entire career. And then you had to wonder how long can can what's his name Fletcher go on doing this yes. and not get caught for it. Right. You know, I mean, he had such a position of prestige. How did he get there? I mean, these are all questions that are unanswered, by the way. How did he get there? How did he maintain it for so long? And, and you know, we, we do see – by the way, we're going to spoil this film. There's no way to talk about this film without just completely spoiling it because every moment is drama and tension that you don't want spoiled. So we're going to spoil the whole thing. But, like, how does he get to this position? How does he stay there? And how did he not get drummed out before? When he finally did, you're like, uh, he had that coming. But, but like, how <laughs> how did he not – how did this not happen before? How is this the first time? And, and you know, the indication is that that, that kid that committed – or the not the kid, but the guy who committed suicide, um, you, you know, it would have been – they were blaming it on him for his – the mental abuse and, the you know, put him into depression. I mean this whole thing – this is – I mean this why I call it a thriller is because – okay, so thriller is a genre of literature, film, and television programming that uses suspense, tension, and excitement as its main elements. I mean that's – this is a thriller, and I, I didn't expect that going into it. Yeah, and that way it has a relationship with films like The Black Swan, where the performer is trying to an absurd degree to master perfection at something, Mm. and in so doing basically starts to lose their mind. Yeah, well, and the question here is who lost their mind or did, you know, did, did, did had Fletcher <laughs> lost his mind and, and it's just, he's, you know, or was Andrew losing his mind? I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things there that you can chew on. The theme of the story was insanity is infectious. <laughs> Apparently. And, and there's certainly, um, there's certainly, uh, a, a, a trend you can follow with Andrew where he becomes, he, he starts becoming like Fletcher. With with you know and and we see throughout the film him becoming more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like he becomes emotionally detached from his girlfriend and he's completely insensitive with her and he basically breaks up with her in the most in- insensitive way I've ever seen in my life and and he didn't mean it to be that way but that's the way I mean yeah. he was becoming more like Fletcher and if you he, believe what you hear it even puts Steve Jobs to shame yeah I mean so th- there's this theme running through the movie. Um, and it's, it's actually explicitly stated toward the end of the movie. There are, you know, there are the, the, the two worst words in the English language are good job. You know, that's, that is Fletcher's position. And you have to, you have to believe that Andrew believes that on some level or, or he wouldn't still be there. He wouldn't be putting up with this. That he, he believes he needs to be pushed like that. That's what's interesting about this. It's not that he, it's not that Andrew was in this position that he couldn't get out of. He couldn't have gone and done something else. He couldn't have gone to another class. He couldn't have gone to another school. He put himself in the position to be tormented by this man who is insane, by the way. <laughs> um, a Fletcher played by J.K. Simmons. Uh, wow, that man! This J.K. Simmons deserves all the awards all the time for this role. But see, wait a minute. Are, are are we serious or are we getting hyperbolic about the insanity? You know, I understand to a degree um, calling it insanity because there, to a degree, it's definitely not normal. There's nothing normal about the behavior. Maybe. Like this is Darth Vader type stuff. If the guy had the force, he'd have been choking all of his students. Yeah. Maybe in, insanity is the wrong word. Just intense anger and uh, the way he no holds barred. Yeah. The way he deals with his students is like he throws stuff at them. He hurts them. He slaps them. He, he physically abuses them. Sometimes he mostly verbally abuses them and uses all manner of foul English that we won't repeat on the podcast. <laughs> Something that really struck me too, though, was 
I, I cannot say that I've ever encountered a teacher that was this brutal, but I have encountered several that would really, really get under students' skin, like embarrass you, yell at you, perhaps throw something in a class environment, and not just you know uh, teachers, but also you know bosses, managers, mm. where it gets nasty. Where it, when the, the person in charge wants to vent their frustration. They are a, 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 a minor league version of this. And they, you know, they're hitting three on the Richter scale instead of 10. But this sort of thing happens more often than we realize. And I think it was interesting how so much of this movie was demonstrated as true to life except for the, uh, the lighting effects and the filters, which we'll get to later in my opinion. Uh, but the, basically there were – basically from the beginning to end, it felt very true to life. So we're not saying that the film itself felt sensational by the fact that this guy was so obsessed and over the top and brutal. It was just that it's hard to – it seems unreasonable that anyone should want that teacher and stay in that school with that kind of abuse and that so many people were falling for it and going for it and asking for it and taking it just to further their career to say that they were in the number one jazz band of the country. It, it seems like that's a huge price to pay for a very small return for your career. You could do fine if you'd be content with the second place. Well, but yeah. The point here is, is that these students, even if they're not as nasty as their teacher, they want – 100% perfection. And they know that this guy, in spite of his methods, gets that level of commitment and quality from the performances of all the people that he conducts. And so it's convincing, again, true to life, even if while you're watching it, you're kind of like aghast. Like you, you already compared it to a thriller, but this is different from a lot of thrillers in that it doesn't have that sensational quality were oddly and that that would never happen in real life or that oh that hardly ever happens in real life you're right it mostly does this yeah this would be like you know maybe these are really extraordinary circumstances and this doesn't happen that often but you can definitely see this happening out there and uh yeah. that that's probably one of the reasons top three reasons that this movie is so compelling and it keeps you on the edge of your seat Right. One of the things you said about the cost of, of, of this perfection, and, and I actually wrote the major theme of this film is perfection, and, and, I, and it begs the question, should we, should we strive for and should we desire this kind of perfection? You, Joe, you and I are – No pain, no gain, right? Well, you and I are perfectionists. We're In different ways, we're perfectionists. I know that there are things that I do that, and you're like, oh, that could be better in this way, and there are things that you <laughs> do that I go, oh, no, we could do better in this way. But you and I are perfectionists in our own way. So, so the, the question is relevant, I think, and – and something that I often ask myself as I'm striving for perfection, I'm I'm writing this code, I'm writing this function, I'm writing this this you know this class or or this this method, and I'm like it's not it could do I could make it more efficient, I could, but I got to ship the product. I mean, so so the question is, should we desire this kind of perfection? And I wrote, what is the cost of this perfection? I mean, he basically Andrew destroys all of his relationships in his entire life. It doesn't look like a Fletcher has any friends in the entire world. Uh, what is the cost of this perfection, and is it even good to to strive on that level for that kind of perfection? You know, I've actually been thinking about this a whole lot lately in other contexts, and this just fell right into the same the same category. And if if you were to apply like a uh, 
a moral compass over the story, the same as you would to the true, the real world, I would say that it, it's actually uh, it's it's clearly immoral. But it's really hard to define why it's immoral. And I think the best uh, the best way to describe it is that it's idolatrous. Mm-hmm. Yes, because you're not just obsessed about it. You like worship the perfection at all costs. You will sacrifice everything else. So imagine the perfection of great, high-quality human relationships and the possibility of having a a great relationship with your teacher, a quality experience at the school where you create lasting relationships with other students, where you find perhaps your soulmate, where you further your education in many ways so that you're a a complete dynamic person and you become a well-rounded individual, Mm -hmm, that you have – uh, you have many options before you in your career. No, you don't have any of that with this scenario. Right. What right. you have is this individual is only good for drumming, and this other man, this older man, is only good for conducting. And again, because it's at all costs, you don't know what to expect from them next. They could totally ruin everybody in the room. Yeah. At the expense of what? A performance of music. And not even just a performance of music. By the end of the film, it's carried to the point that it's not even about music anymore. No, no. it's now about it's now about a an extreme level of technical ability. Can you put in like four hundred beats per second or whatever it is? Yeah. It's something absurd, and it, it doesn't even sound musical. It sounds amazing, but it doesn't sound like something that you. We're creating for a live audience because the live audience paid tickets. They're there that day to hear some fabulous music. What they paid for was a a good experience where a band works together to perform a song. Right. And on stage, it's not about the music. It's not – there is no love for the audience it's not about them anymore. It's about the ego trip of a couple of people up on the, up on the stage at the expense of the audience, the band, and everything else. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's what I'm talking about. It's that level of like it, it's it comes across as downright immoral because if we had to deal with another person in real life like this, it came anywhere close. The great example I think that most people would be aware of would be what people have said of Steve Jobs. Mm. He he would be close to this. The, the man that he was back in the late 70s and 80s and 90s, like he was this kind of person that was so obsessive that would drive um, the people on the inside of his company to war with each other because this this group over here, this department is working on one product yes, and yes. the group over here is working on another product. And so literally when they get together to have a uh, like a cookout – they're throwing glasses at each other because they're so passionate <laughs> yes. about what we do over here is better than what you do over there. Yep, and and it's infectious. This yeah. level of insanity. Yeah, and ultimately, I think th- this was a major thing that I and this is what I liked about this film is it made me think about all these things. It made me challenge my own you know thinking and and, and just chew on a lot of stuff. And ultimately, I am in one hundred percent fundamental disagreement that the words "good job." are the two most harmful words in the English language. I am 100% in fundamental opposition to everything that Fletcher stands for. And I'm not sure even still exactly what the film is trying to say. And and maybe it's a, you know, put, you know, choose your own story or puzzle or whatever. Um, you can take away whatever you want, I suppose. We'll talk about the ending here in a little bit. But, but the point is like, 
I don't think I, I think that in if this were a true story and if Fletcher were a real person and Andrew were a real person, he can get good performances. He may be even be able to get better performances than most people get out of their students by treating them the way he did. But I don't think he can ever get their best by doing what he did. He cannot no, get their best because he's no, treating them like trash. Right, but it, it, but it was proven that it was impossible for him to, him to accomplish what he was setting out to do because yes. of what happened to that student that got killed or, or her, who committed suicide. Because that was a student who rose from the ashes, became the best at what was it? Um, he was a trumpet, or he was a trumpet player, or he was a. Uh, I don't remember. A, he was in the brass. It was, it was unimportant. Saxophone or yeah, and but but that that was a guy who had graduated from those classes and went on and had a brilliant career for five or six years, but then depression was so horrendous that person offed himself, and that was established around the the end of Act One, and it, it was just driving the message home that Fletcher the teacher is in complete denial if he cannot see the influence of what he did in class. That, it, that it's not that he pulled a trigger or that he killed the, the student himself. It's just that he that he instilled in that student his values, and ultimately that person couldn't live Fletcher's life for him. And once his God was taken out of the equation, the student couldn't keep it up. So the the, the guy like his soul died inside. The guy didn't have anything else to live for except the perfect music. And once you do that for five or six years and you realize you don't have anything else to your life, you don't have a family, you don't have friends, you don't have right. loving relationships. What what are you doing? Like that's and that was again um, uh, uh, demonstrated again for Andrew the student. When he cut off the relationship with his girlfriend that was going somewhere, mm-hmm. she, w- she would be a great positive influence for his life. But then Andrew himself was the one who willingly cut it off because he wanted there to be nothing in his life except the perfection of drumming. Yes. So, so yeah, I, I think that covers all the themes. You want to get to the, some of the production value? Uh, sure. I, I thought that this film had some w- wonderfully um, – Shall we say like art house film qualities as you would expect, I suppose, from a limited release. It had some really wonderful shots. I'm I'm thinking of many of the shots where you have these quick cuts to, uh, you know, when let's say when Fletcher would walk into the room and he'd set his music on the stand. You cut close to the music and he, he the, like the camera would follow his finger. It was wonderful camera work. And he would land on a part and he would say bar 72, you know, and, and boom. And the students were expected to know immediately where to pick up. And it was just wonderful work, wonderful choreography, if I can use that word. And the way the shots were composed, um, I, I felt it was very deliberate. Certainly, <laughs> certainly some of the best camera work that I've seen in a while. And also, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't I, – when you say the camera work, I, I, what I noticed about this was the seamlessness for all the camera work in even tight spaces. Like there were several different sets, environments, in indoors, outdoors. There was this one very, uh, very tense scene where the student is missing his, his – his, what was it? His uh, drumsticks. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's late for class, late for a rehearsal. And he he is beginning to take it all out on the teacher and the world. He he, he is turning nasty like the teacher. Yes, and yes. He has been completely corrupted. He is ignoring everything else around him mm-hmm. at the expense of um, his own his own safety. And so he's out in the open road, and 
it, it was unexpected when, when he's hit, um, he's T-boned by this, uh, large truck. It looks like some sort of, you know, um, dump truck or something. Yeah. And the camera was right there for the whole thing. Didn't change angles. Didn't show the, the accident from outside of the car. The, you just see from the point of view of the camera that, um, Andrew was sitting in the driver's seat and now he is not in the driver's seat. The, uh, you don't know what direction up is anymore, but clearly the car was smashed. And it lingers there for a second. You saw the truck approaching Andrew's uh, driver's side door and then it happens. And it was, uh, you know, um, you remember that moment where there was a similar sort of shot in uh, the Bourne supremacy and Jason Bourne is in a small car and he he's T-boned. Yes, I think so. It wasn't as impactful because in that case, there, there was way too much shaky cam uh, and too yes. many cuts uh. in the in the Born Supremacy. But if it hadn't been for that, that that scene could have been as good as this one. Except to, to make it even more intense, Jason was only T-boned by like another small car. This was a truck. Yeah, it was a Freightliner. And then what does the student do? Uh, to give you a, a great example of like a performance and the film craft, perfect timing. Uh, Andrew – just crawls out of the car all bloodied up, stands up and tries to find a way to get his bearings and just run to the university, flee the scene right. of the wreckage. Because he's going to lose his career if he doesn't. And and this is where – this is where, again, the uh, – the, and the, the performance of J.K. Simmons is amazing. Like you can tell he's he's just ticked off. He He's looking at the blood and he's getting blood all over his drums for crying out loud. And what are you doing? And he's dropping the, the sticks because his hand is injured. And it's like, you're done. Get out. You're not in my band. Anymore. Like any normal human being, right, would be like, wow, what happened to you? Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll pick this back up later. I don't care how horrible you are. Typically, your response to a car wreck would be, we'll figure this out. You know, and, and Fletcher's response is, uh, you're fired. Get out. You know, I mean, it's like it's just amazing the callousness and lack of humanity the guy shows. And, and it's a tribute to J.K. Simmons acting ability, frankly, that, yeah. he, that he pulls it off so well. Like he pulls it off in a way that you really believe this guy. He doesn't care. He's just ticked off that you got you messed up the performance. You you messed the you messed up our our thing in front of this audience. And, you know, that's all he cares about. Hmm. It's pretty amazing. I, 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 I wanted to mention too that you won't recognize a lot of the faces. Pretty much anybody who's under the age of 30 in this movie is unrecognizable. And that's awesome. I, yeah. I really enjoyed all the fresh faces. Yeah, with the exception, of course, of J.K. Simmons, I didn't know anybody in this film. I, I suppose I was supposed to know Miles Teller, and I've heard the name, but I'd never seen him before. Yeah, you know, I've seen him around, but uh, it wasn't a name or a face that had really stuck yet. Um, now it probably will. <laughs> And uh, yeah, uh, J.K. Simmons is not under thirty, but yeah, he he was a pretty great guy. And I mean, like, man, what a! I don't want to say charisma. I mean, like, we already know he's a brilliant actor, but this guy just embodied what you expected from this type of person on screen. Yes, even physically. Yes. Like his blood vessels are popping out of his head. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. I wouldn't oh, be surprised if J.K. Simmons took 10 years off his life making this film. Um, <laughs> I, I loved how he was able – like you know, when he first got uh, Andrew to be in the, in the ensemble, the jazz – I don't know if ensemble is the right word. I'm thinking more of choral music, but I don't remember what they called it in the film. But anyway, uh, when he didn't got – Didn't they just call it a band? The, the jazz band, the, the okay. premier jazz band of the university, right? And he got him to be in there and uh, – 
said, hey, we got a new guy or whatever. And then he's walking in the hallway with him and he's like, yeah, I mean, you're here for a reason. You believe that, right? And tell me a little bit about yourself. And, and, and I'm sitting here going, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop because we've seen already just hints of how this guy behaves. And, and, uh, you know, he's asking about his mother and his father and his family life. And, you know, he's, oh, his, you know, his mother is no longer alive and his father, da, 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 da. And you're waiting for the shoe to drop and it never drops. And he maintains this composure throughout the whole thing. And they're in there. He's doing a drums. Like, nah, nah, nah. Not my, not my tempo. All right, we'll, we'll take it again. We'll take it again. And then all of a sudden, he throws this thing. He calls him an orphan. He, the shoe didn't drop for like ten minutes, but when it did, I mean, it was such a payoff to to. Oh well, he was only getting to know Andrew for ammunition when he went back in there in order to berate him with it. It, it was it was amazing both from a, an acting perspective and a writing perspective, um, and and a filmmaking perspective in general. There's just. That just encapsulates that that particular thing that I'm talking about. What I like so much about this film. Mm. Uh, another thing that was charming was just uh, like the little life moments between the son and the father. They were mm-hmm. very ordinary yes. and sort of, you know, what you would call boring. To, <laughs> Definitely to, to observe, right? Like if you and I were sitting down to watch a movie after or a TV show, let's say we're catching up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something after this this recording. Maybe we're sitting down and we're sharing a, bu- a bucket of popcorn. I'm caught up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., by the way. Oh, you'd rewatch it for me. Okay, I will. <laughs> if we were sitting there enjoying ourselves, the funny thing is, you, you know, if you were to like point a camera and shoot it at us, we may not look like we're enjoying ourselves. Right. And that that was something that struck me in this film that several times they show Andrew and his father in a theater or in their living room watching TV or you know watching a movie and they're sharing a bucket of popcorn. And this is what they do to relax and enjoy each other. This is like the main thing they do together as father and son mm-hmm. except for some awkward hugs that are sprinkled throughout the film. <laughs> and – and it kind of struck me as just an interesting little like window in, into another facet of reality. Like, mm-hmm. you know, most people watching TV don't look all that happy. And, and, no. and this was a great personification of that. Like, this is what real people do. We sit <laughs> down and we, we just vegetate at the television. Whereas um, that, that would explain one of the reasons why Andrew is so passionate about his career and playing the music. Like he'd much rather be living the life story that is unfolding on the screen than sit and observe it. Yeah. And so do we appreciate Andrew's level of quality at all costs? Is it, is it conceivable that you could be this good without being this nasty? And it's interesting, right? I think you could, but what's really intense about this is like, this is like, this is a Marines, uh, you know, like a, Navy SEALs type stuff, right? Where yes. you're you're playing so hard that you're you're bloodied up. Your hands are in real pain. And in order to keep playing the drums, you stick your bloodied, boned, you know, exposed hands, knuckles into a a large pitcher of ice water so that you numb your hands so cold that you can't feel anything anymore and you go practicing again. Yeah, it's crazy. And he does this over and over again. And this is what was expected of all the students. And you could see you could see the reaction from these three drummers throughout the film and how they took it in different ways. There was the one kid who was just having a good old time. You know, he's just there, he's just having fun with the jazz team. You know, we're here to make music, people. Hey, where's my girlfriend? Oh, she's right over there. How are you doing, sweetie? You know, like he, there was that guy who was just having his good old time. 
and that he's told, push yourself, push yourself for harder, faster. And he can't do it, won't do it. And he, he's turned off by it mm-hmm. because he's like, you know, no man, no, it ain't worth it. Nothing is worth playing that hard. And then there's the other guy who thought he was really good, who had already like peaked and he would have pushed himself any harder if he thought he could, if he stood a chance. But the, but the teacher Fletcher had, uh, you know, just insulted him so many times. The the guy was giving up just because he was replaced by this uh, this uh, what was it he uh, you know uh, this sophomore this this junior yeah so so yeah he uh, he felt betrayed by the teacher after you know clearly paying his dues in college class by being replaced by the rookie by uh, how did how did um, Fletcher call him he called him the uh, the squeaker yes, or something like that something like that. Yeah, and it just goes to like the whole the entire time. One of the thoughts that I had was like, you cannot. This is why I think you can't get the best performance out of these people if you're constantly walking on eggshells. Like you've been a member of this this uh, this band for for years, and all of a sudden you make one mistake and you're you're back on the bench, you know, and you you don't have any mercy. Like you can't get you cannot get the best performance out of people that. But way. didn't they? But wasn't the ending saying that you could? Yeah, I want to talk about that. Uh, in a minute, okay. but but here, okay. here's what I want to do. I have three categories here that we actually haven't even dived into yet on my okay. on my. On I've, my said, notes. I've, I've addressed everything I wanted to cover. Okay. I want to hear the, I want to hear yours. I have three categories. I have likes. I have unknown, <laughs> unknown, <laughs> and dislikes. <Okay. laughs> so so the unknown is the stuff that I'm still not sure whether I liked it or disliked it. So my likes, um, drumming is not the focus of this film, even though you might think it is. It's like one of the good sports yeah. movies, like say yeah. 42, a Jackie Robinson, or, um, I'm trying to think of another one that I like that you would think that I wouldn't like because I hate sports and you, you would think that I wouldn't like this movie because I don't like jazz music. Like d- dislike is the wrong word. Hatred might be a better word for my opinion of jazz, but I, you know what, for this movie, I love this movie because it it really wasn't about the jazz. It was about the journey. It was about the focus of the film, um, and it was about the story. So so that's my first observation. I, I like the way the film was able to take a subject and say, you know what? Sure, jazz, whatever. This is about the story of him becoming what it, whatever it is he's trying to be. Um, becoming Steve Jobs. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so regardless of what I think of the ending scene, which we will get to, uh, I did love how that scene was done. I loved how it was choreographed. I loved, you know, those shots where they cut between just their eyes, like, and they've connected and they've got, the, I mean, they, they communicated so much in that ending scene. I, I say they, the, the director communicated so much in the ending scene with so little dialogue. It's like, you know, first, first it's, uh, you, you get this thing where, uh, you think I'm stupid, don't you? I know exactly <laughs> who did that to me. I know who drummed me out. And I, I don't care if it was anonymous. I know who it was. And uh, guess what? That set list I gave you, we're not doing a single song from that set list. You know, that sort of thing. So so he shamed, you know, Fletcher oh, shames Andrew. But betrayal. then, what's that? Betrayal. Yes. But then, Intense. Oh, but, but then, so he comes back, he walks off the stage, but then he comes back, he's going to do it, doggone it. And he takes over like he, you know, and then he took he, over. Yeah. he's shaming Fletcher, but then Fletcher shaming him like this, it's this back and forth. And it's this wonderful scene. And finally they like connect and they have this thing. So regardless of what I think of the ending scene, it was wonderfully done. Um, and, and, and the, the question who won, who won in that war and don't make no mistake. This film was about a war between these two people. We don't have an answer to that question. Who won that war? There is no answer no, to that don't. question. And I love that. It is interesting how you put it because we can understand Andrew's motivations and his accomplishments from scene to scene. Mm-hmm. And we would know where Andrew stands at any given time. Yes. He's not very tricky. 
But when it comes to Fletcher, you really don't know the guy. Like, even though he can be really angry, really difficult, and really cruel, from scene to scene, they show how he can be really kind at times. Yes. Or just unpredictable in many ways. Mm -hmm. Like, like there's that moment when you see him just chilling, you know, in the bar, you know, where he's playing the piano with several other professionals that are just, you know, they're just your average jazz performers. There's nothing special about them. Yep. He he's the the highlight of the show, and he's playing the piano. Mm-hmm. And the guy seems to be really enjoying himself and relaxed. Like, oh, okay, so he can enjoy a normal evening of life, right? But maybe he wasn't. Like, you don't know after oh, what no. he does. I think in retrospect, it was all a setup. Like he yeah. he had all this planned out and figured out so that he could reel in uh, Andrew into that final scene. I don't know. Yeah. It, but that's the thing about him. Like he is so unpredictable that as far as we know, right after they rolled the credits, Fletcher like went up and like punched Andrew's lights out. I mean, we don't know. No, no. I, I, I personally don't think that would have happened. But again, there's a lot of room for interpretation there. And I do kind of like that. The film doesn't answer your questions necessarily. There are some that it answers, but it makes you ask questions and it makes you think about the story. It, it doesn't disrespect you as the audience. So I did love that. I do think that near the end, the film did prove that affirmation is needed. It didn't come from Fletcher. It came from his father, who he 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 walked out. He walked off the stage after he was humiliated by Fletcher, and he walked off the stage. And his father saw that he what had happened, and he ran to the back of the stage and he hugged him, told him how much he loved him, and that gave him the strength and the courage to walk back out on that stage and do what needed to be done. Yeah, even though his father was, as uh, you know, we we described in, uh, or actually I read in one of the descriptions of the movie, was a failed writer. Yeah, you know, it's it's sort of like you know, it doesn't matter that he was a failure; he still loves his son. As his his son still needs his father's approval. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty powerful. All right, the next thing that I have written here, um, did you know how some films, some art house films, some artsy films, whatever, they're, they try too hard. Like, it's like, oh, come on. You, you, that's so choreographed. That's so like, the, that, that none of that feels real. None of that feels right. This film never felt like that. It was very never. artful, but it didn't feel forced. It was, it was so well done that you could appreciate what it was doing. You could appreciate the techniques. You could appreciate the filmmaking, but it never got in the way. It never pushed and said, look how artful I am. Look at this artsiness. You know, it never did that. It was, it was very it, like, it, it, it's like, a, you know, walking on a knife edge and it stayed right there. It just, it never fell one side or the other. And that is one of the reasons why a lot of the larger big budget films feel artificial because they feel oftentimes overly staged. And you'll see that in uh like, well, this is a great example really, to be honest in like practically every superhero movie there is, it feels like there's a lot of um, posturing. Mm-hmm. Like somebody told the, you know, the actor on screen, okay, now at this point you shrug your shoulders just like this. Now, just like I do it. Okay. Don't, don't do it your way. Do it my way. Okay, there. That's it. You did it right that time. Okay. Now just do that again. When we're rolling the camera, like you get that impression a lot and uh, you're right. It was refreshing. I wouldn't say that as superhero movies in general, but I think a really good example of exactly what you're saying is watching Natalie Portman act in the star Wars films. Yeah, but not only. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just saying we we know she can act. We've seen her in other films, and it's like George Lucas was like manipulating her like a puppet, you know, and telling her exactly, you know, what to do with her. I, I don't know. Anyway, anyway. My heart is broken, Nana. Yeah. 
<laughs> You're breaking my heart, Annie. Oh, Sorry, how did we? How did Star Wars come into this? <laughs> doggone it! Doggone Star it! Star Wars bite. Ah, uh, okay. Um, the emotional scene, like, like there was a couple of there was a couple of scenes, but this is the biggest one that, that just showed the depth of acting that J.K. Simmons was capable of. That scene where he comes in and he has that CD of the guy who just died that had been his student, and he like you feel the emotion. Like you, that's when you realize, okay, this guy's messed up. He's crazy in the head. If you, if maybe, maybe not, but it's just, there's something wrong with him. And yet he's a human. He has this emotion. He really feels the, like the sadness and the depth of this guy that was his student that passed away and he made such good music. And it was, it was one, like the scene almost, even though I hated JK Simmons at this point, not JK Simmons, but you know, the character, I almost had like this emotional feeling with him, you know, it almost made me break down. Like it was so well done. And, and that like, um, it didn't even feel like some people might complain that maybe you felt manipulated or whatever. I didn't feel manipulated by it. I I truly felt in the moment with it. So, um, that, that was like, um, one of the things that I wrote down, just like, man, that was so good. Um, all right. And then the last point we've already talked a lot about was a lot of elegant shots and, and artfulness. So, so those are my likes. Okay. Here are my unknowns, um, and this is where we can talk about the last scene, Joe, because I haven't decided yet whether I liked it or whether I disliked it, and I haven't fully decided or fully comprehended what it's trying to say. So so the whole film feels like it's moving towards this um, th- th- this idea that, you know what, uh, Fletcher's – the way Fletcher goes about things is wrong. Maybe what he wants is right, but the way – but then it's almost like this this final scene reverses all of it and says, you know what? No, no. What he did got got Andrew to this point, and look how good he is now. Like, I'm not sure. Is that what the film was saying? I'm not sure. Or was the film more saying, you know, Andrew overcome the overcame the odds, and despite the fact that in that last scene Fletcher was trying to humiliate him, he did it right. He did it well, and he came back from it. Is that what the film is trying to say? I don't know. And and maybe the film's saying both, or maybe it's saying neither. What do you think? I I don't know, man. Like I think it's really subject to interpretation because there's practically no dialogue. In most movies, when you have the antagonist and protagonist face it off in near the climax, at the climax, and after the climax, they say enough that you know where they stand and why they stood there. But in this case, it is some of it's really gray and that's okay. That's really okay. Again, it's another air mark of this um this kind of indie film. That was picked up by Sony Pictures, and you know, thank God for them doing that because this is a real gem. And I, I, I kind of like it that way. Kind of like you were saying, you we're really not sure what happens when they roll credits, what happens next. But it seems like it's a positive force between the the conductor and his his expert drummer. Now, um, I I want to say that it's safe to say whatever was going on, it wasn't healthy. Oh no, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> but but it also seems like it was. Um, it was this incredible fury and bitterness. It was like the sweet taste of nastiness. If if that can ever be, <laughs> if that can ever be personified, demonstrated, and uh, carried on screen, it happened here, where it's like, oh man, I don't know if I if I like this, but it kind of looks like garbage. But it, it kind of looks nice. I'm not sure. You're just not sure. If if there's any part of this that's wholesome, it, it feels like something wholesome. The fact that he is he is that he has finally achieved something great is is shoved into something really dark and oh so wrong, and the two do not belong together. As diabol, you know, just like 
really messed up forces. I'm sorry. Did that answer your question? I, I think so. I, I kind of lost track of where it was going. I'm sorry, but um, yeah, I'm sorry. so so you're 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 of you're of torn opinion. Is is that yeah. what I'm getting? Yeah, and yeah, I am torn too. opinion, but still, I do appreciate the craft quality. To oh it. man, yeah, and that maybe that's part of why I'm torn on it is because it was so well done. It almost felt not quite, but it almost felt like the ending scene was the end of a different movie. Just a little bit, not not a lot, and and I'm not even saying that that's the like that was a stylistic choice. There's no doubt about that. Like it feels a little bit like subverted from of uh, it subverted what you thought the ending was going to be, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, my other unknown characteristic here is whatever Fletcher says, you know, toward the end of the film or when when we're moving towards the end of the film, and he says, you know. All that stuff, I only ever did it to motivate you. Like, I only brought that guy in to compete with you because I wanted it to motivate you. I, you know, I only ever wanted to find the talent. That's all I ever wanted to do. And and I just think that the words good job are the two worst words in the English language. Whatever he said, I, it wasn't completely true. Because you could see he enjoyed the mind games. He enjoyed yes. the combat. He enjoyed right. that role that he played way too much, even if... That was his ultimate purpose, and I don't even know that it was. I'm not sure. So I'm I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about well, that. It was a great example of our complex human nature, right? Because right. sometimes we set about to do something with a uh, a for a good reason, and then we wind up doing it for good and bad reasons. And in the way in which we carry ourselves through it is uh, is really mean. Like let me, let me say, like you have a father who is trying to do something positive in his children's life. So he wants to be involved in their lives and he wants to um, he wants to train them up. But then the father starts yelling at his kids. And why is he doing it? Well, he's yelling at his kids because his kids aren't doing what he told them to do. And if they would just do what he told them to do, then everything would be okay because then the kids would be turning out okay. And that is what the father was doing. That's why the father is upset in the first place, right? Like he's only upset because the kids aren't doing what they ought to do where they just let the father – Train them up the way they should be. You know, it, it's that kind of conflict, right? So we, yeah. we start, this is human where we start doing the wrong things for the right reasons. And sometimes it's vice versa. Mm-hmm. And this is mixed up throughout the entire film mm-hmm. for both Andrew and Fletcher. Like it's very easy to focus on Fletcher being worse than Andrew, but you can see Andrew's going to turn out just like Fletcher. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. And finally, I have my uh, dislikes, um, and and you know it's it's somewhat nitpicky because overall I enjoyed this film so much, but I do have a few. The car crash, as much as I feel like it helped and lent itself to the story, it did seem somewhat contrived. Like all this stuff is going on, his bus had a flat tire, he forgot his drumsticks, he you know blah da 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 da, and he got in a car truck. Really. Come on, this is not real life. That it just felt a little bit contrived that way. Um, so I didn't like that very much. The dinner scene um, where um, Miles Teller, what's his name, Andrew, is um, having dinner with his family and uncle and aunt and whatever, all the people that were gathered around. Like that felt way too talky and not enough show. It was too much talk and not enough show. It was, it was didactic. Like they, every one of those characters told you how they were feeling, and it didn't feel up to the level of quality of writing and material and directing that happened throughout the rest of the film. Um, so I, I, that, that was somewhat of a disappointment to me. Um, I feel like the film is supposed to be about Andrew, but the tension seems to be what Fletcher might do, right? Like the story and JK Simmons carry the film 
but I don't, I don't know that it was supposed to, and I don't know that uh, Miles Teller was the right leading man. Like I feel like that maybe that's the problem is Miles Teller was good, but maybe not quite the right leading man, and and J.K. Simmons kind of took over. I don't know. The tension really lies with 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 my, uh, with Fletcher and not with uh, not with Andrew. And I I think I feel like that's just a slight little dislike, or maybe just a little bit like eh, I think you could have done a little better. Interesting. So nit nitpicky, very nitpicky. Okay. Um, you want to get to my dislikes? Or, I do. Uh, I do. I definitely okay. do. Okay. I, I didn't want to interrupt yours. Nope. I'm done. Um, basically, uh, on a similar note to your last point there, I felt at times that they dwelled a little bit too much on the drums themselves. And mm-hmm. it'd be sort of like watching a Western where they keep on staring at the revolver in the hand of the, gu- of the you know, the cowboy. Right. Right. Rather right. than letting us see exactly the performance coming through by the, by the, frankly, the protagonist. Oftentimes we see the protagonist's face throughout this film when he has a blank look about him. And that makes a lot of sense because he's got practically nothing to his life and his soul. Mm-hmm. He is consumed by his music and his, his music isn't even music. All he's do is, doing is performing the rhythm. So you know, he's doing it with a lot of uh, talent, a lot of skill that he's acquired over the years. But there's not a lot to the character of Andrew except for when he's behind the drums and so much could be invoked by how he is carrying himself while he's playing his music. And sometimes we see him enjoying himself and sometimes where he is, you know, he's really furious, trying his hardest to put, to deliver the best performance of a lifetime. But I don't think we got enough of it really. So many times it starts dwelling on the cymbals and the drums and the sticks and it, they look very artistic but it got a little bit away too far away from Andrew himself at times mm-hmm. yep. at the most intense in intense moments. It'd be like a lightsaber duel where we're getting close-ups on the blades clashing against each other rather than seeing anything that the Jedi's are expressing on their faces. Oh, you mean like the prequels? <laughs> I, I don't know if that would be one of the cinema sins of the prequels, but uh, sure. Why not? We'll just add that one to the list. We, uh, there are scapegoats. We can always blame them for anything. Absolutely. Um, I, another thing too, was, uh, I was kind of hoping that they could develop the girlfriend. They obviously didn't want to turn it into that kind of film, but it, it, it because it, there was a lot to go through apart from showing more of the leading lady, mm-hmm. but she, she really was kind of overly downplayed. I felt I, I did too. Yeah. I wanted more of her. Also the father, uh, there was this one dinner scene. And I understood that the scene was to try and demonstrate more nastiness. It was, it was the, yeah, that's the, the scene family I was being about. cruel to each other. Yeah. And I, I felt like that, that scene could have been better. Um, even if they were trying to, trying to depict the exact same problems, a dysfunction in the family. Well, like I said, I feel like that was too, that scene was just too talky, too didactic and didn't live up to the rest of the film. Awkward. Uh, um, yeah. Awkward on, on, awkward to the camera, not necessarily awkward in their performances, like the actors right. seemed to understand better what they were trying to accomplish than what was communicated to the audience. Yes, yes, I would agree. Um, another thing was uh, there at it wasn't a big deal, but sometimes I actually couldn't follow what was not being accomplished or was being accomplished in the music itself. Mm-hmm. And this is a problem for general audiences. You know, if you're if you're a music major, if you have experience as a musician, and you probably don't experience this as much as someone in the general audience. Mm. 
But if you're watching most films, you can usually tell when something is a good thing or a bad thing. But sometimes with this film, it would be like learning Greek and a teacher shouting at a student for, you know, the mispronunciation of a Greek word or letter or some, you know, the past tense of something. And we don't, we don't know if that was good or bad or not. So we don't, we don't know how to emote and respond and uh, relate better to the film. Right. So like there, there was this one very key moment, for instance, where the uh, conductor is shouting at more than one student for being too fast or too slow. And ultimately, the students, it was, it, the point was made that the students weren't always sure if they were too fast or too slow. Mm-hmm. And it was one of these annoyances of Fletcher was that he would want them to keep in rhythm on the up and down beat of the, uh, the first measure that they would start playing in. Like he, he didn't give the students time. To know what the rhythm was. Absolutely. I completely agree. All they had heard was one and two, and he would already cut them off and say, you know, you didn't, you weren't in my rhythm. And I think they were kind of making the point that that, that was really unreasonable. Oh, but at very. the same time, I don't think the audience, that half of the audience would understand that that was what was going on because you'd have to be in the know about how music works mechanically to get that point. Yeah, and I, I suppose I had a leg up because, I, you know, I have been, uh, you know, I've done musical stuff. I've been in uh, choirs and things and, and just knowing just how unreasonable that is. Like, you know, especially a guy that just came into the band, he doesn't know the dynamics of the band and, you know, he's going to throw stuff off and you got to give him time to get in sync. And he didn't do that. Like, you know, it, it's 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 definitely unreasonable. And, and maybe I do have a uh, a better understanding of that because I have been involved in those sorts of things. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, lastly, a lot of the film was bathed in a nasty, uh, what do you call it, um, fluorescent lighting that turns everything green and and bleh, and I, mm. I didn't like it at all. I don't. I don't know if I agree with that. I, I I think I know what you're saying, but I don't think a lot of the film was bathed in it. And I think where it did it, it did it intentionally. And uh, I I was mostly happy with the look of the film. Sure. I liked it really well when they were in their classrooms and they had the, the really jazzy looking like dim lighting that was very warm mm-hmm. and the uh, the wood paneling all over the room. <laughs> that, that looked really classy. That's something you don't see very often in films because there aren't that many rooms that are actually built that way. Mm. And that, that was really classy. The, uh, the, the It was just, you know, when you would see Andrew walking to and from, you know, his apartment or something – you know, meeting up with his girlfriend, uh, you know, it was moments like that, that you just see this icky dank lighting that shows up in so many, uh, low budget films that low budget films seem to embrace and overly emphasize at times like, Oh, the lighting is fluorescent. It looks disgusting. Let's make it even look more putrid. And and I, I saw that coming through at times and I was just like, "I, I don't like that. It's, it's too grimy. It's to the point of distraction, like shaky cam for me. Uh, and again, this is the designer talking. So, um, well, I mean, I my, my opinion is when you would see way. those things, uh, and I, I agree they were there. Um, but when you'd see them, it's because that's the way they are in real life. I have to deal with this. Um, there's places that I don't like to go, <laughs> you know, in our office where I work because they're lit flore- with fluorescence in the kitchen, for instance. I mean, it, you know, that's real life. And I think that this film was as, you know, trying to be realistic in that way, maybe. So, okay. Okay. Um, even like I'm actually looking at a scene from the trailer right now. 
Uh, it's the scene in the diner with uh, what's his name and his girlfriend, and it's like it's very poorly lit, like because that's you know you're in this uh, not a diner but more like a almost like a store that has the you know that you know what I'm talking about, and it's just lit with fluorescence and it's got the the cases where the food is just kind of blah, and you know that's real life. You know I can think of a places I've been just like that. So um, that that wraps it up for me for the dislikes. Okay, me too. And I, I really don't have any other comment. All right, Joe, it is time to bring it in for a landing for our ratings. What do you rate this film and why? I rate it four stars out of five because it was a uh, – it has a lot of film quality to it. It's uh, worth – it's definitely worth seeing. It's not appropriate for a younger audience. <laughs> no, no. It, uh, it's not a happy story of any sort. Nope. It shouldn't leave you feeling sick inside – but it's it's the kind of thing that when you're done watching it, you want to kind of clear your head by watching an episode of Friends or How I Met Your Mother <laughs> just to kind of lighten it up before you go to sleep because you're afraid of what kind of nightmares you might have. Um, it, it's one of the stories that can be really eye-opening if you're a mindful member of the audience that didn't like turn off halfway through because you were nauseated by the repeating drums or – like you, you just didn't understand why the guy could be so mean and, and yell so much at, at his students. I mean, like mm. I could see a lot of people turning this into a very emotional driven sort of thing that just don't get the movie and mm. what, the, like the moral implications and the message it was driving home. Um, this is a very thought provoking film that I think a lot of the audience is not prepared to think about when they're watching it. So for those kinds of reasons, it deserves four out of five stars. It's a mixed bag. I'm going to go with four and a half because I think I like the film a little more than you, and I found a little less wrong with it than you did. Uh, and it was a fantastic film, uh, certainly a film I'll be coming back to, although, again, it's the type of film where I really like it, but I don't want to watch it you know, very often just for the depressing qualities of it and the fact that it is not a fun story, but it is a very well-made film. It has great themes. It has stuff that makes you think. It has uh, stuff to chew on. Um, there's a lot of questions to be asked. I think with repeated viewings, you can get other aspects out of the film, especially you know on the first viewing of this kind of film. It's great to kind of wonder. You're sitting on the edge of your seat. You're wondering what comes next. You're wondering how these retentions are resolved. You're wondering what Fletcher's going to do next. You're wondering how Andrew's going to respond to it. And I think on repeated viewings, I'm going to be looking now for other things, and I think I'm going to get more out of it even on repeated viewings. So... Four and a half stars, very well-made film, uh, very well-written film, wonderfully directed, wonderfully shot. Everything about it I loved. So four and a half stars. IMDb uh, users rate the film 8.6 out of 10. One of these rare occasions now also where Rotten Tomatoes, the critics and the audience that has seen it are in sync. They are both at 95% approval rating and well-deservedly wow. so I, in my opinion. So that wraps up our review of whiplash wonderful film recommend you check it out next week we're going to be tentatively reviewing mcfarland usa tentatively with tim smith so be looking forward to that i don't know anything about this film this is one that you recommended joe and i allow you to do that from time to time so um <laughs> it, 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 I, I don't know anything about this film i haven't seen a trailer or anything i just saw it at the top of the charts on rotten tomatoes yeah do we know if it's playing like in theaters i've never heard of it so i, I checked mean, i checked assuming. on i checked on the google and uh it's showing in three or four theaters in my area you can come see it down here if you like. You can, you know, drive six hours down here yeah, to see it. Afraid I, I, I can't really work that into my schedule. It is showing at my at the Carmike Thoroughbred in Franklin, so uh, we're good to go. 
Uh, so yeah, that's what we'll be talking about next week. It's some sort of sports movie. Uh, Kevin Costner, uh, he's not had a great track record lately. So Mm, sports Uh, movie, Kevin Costner's that's never happened before. A cross country coach in a small California town transforms a team of athletes into championship contenders. So there you go. I have liked films like this before, so it's quite possible that I like it. Yes, yeah, sports movies are a genre. We cannot ignore them. Yes, yes. Um, so, uh, Joe, in the meantime, uh, before next week, people may want to check out some of your other work. You do other podcasts. You're, uh, you're seeing other people, and uh, people may want to know about that. So, uh, why okay, don't you tell so, us about yeah, that? Okay, so, yeah, I have a coffee show. It's at topbrew.fm. And there's also um, a technology show I'm getting started. I announced the just a few days ago. It's tectonic.fm. And go there and you can check it out. New episode, episode one should be in early April. My website is joedarnell.com. I write there occasionally and you'll get announcements there too if you want to check in there. My Twitter username is underscore joedarnell. I'd love to hang out and chat with you in the streams. Tweet in your face. All right, uh, so that's where you can find Joe. You can find me on Twitter at TJ Draper Pro. Um, I'm uh, hopefully a couple weeks away from relaunching BuzzingPixel.com, uh, where as a place where my uh, expression engine add-ons and different things live. I doubt if many of you are interested in that, but if you are, you might want to check that out in a couple weeks. Uh, but Twitter is the main place to follow me right now, TJ Draper Pro, there on Twitter. And next week we'll be talking about McFarland USA, and uh, that is it for this week. We will see you next week. We're out of here. Thanks, Joe. Ta-ta.